welcome to episode 12 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 2. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. I am delighted to bring you our guest for today. She has a dark past, a happy present and we wish her a bright future. I can't make a better introduction of her than by these four words, mom of 18 children. Everyone, let's welcome Jen Taylor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I would want to just ask you to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, please. I'm happy to. I am mom of 18. We have 18 kids. So my website, and you can find anything on it, is at momof18.com. I've had a podcast for three years. It's called The Naked Podcaster. It's about bearing it all and sharing your story. Um, I'm a speaker. I do a lot of motivational speaking. I've done that off and on for 30 years, and I really, really love that. I love um, connecting with audiences that have a real desire to make positive changes in their lives. So it was really important to me in speaking that, you know, I've gone to conferences where you're all excited and ready to go, and then you leave and you have no idea what to do. And so my whole goal is to tell you, you know, this is the effect it will have on your life, and this is how to do it. This is what you need to do. I'm an author. I, I have a self-help memoir about my life growing up, and uh, I live in Reno. I'm a runner. We're minimalists. Um, so, yeah, I do coaching, and I have workshops, and my whole goal is to help people build their gratitude and their joy in their lives. Okay, so from everything you said, obviously the three things I'm catching up on <laughs> is you're a okay. podcaster just like me. Your I am. <laughs> your podcast is all about stories just like mine. Yes. And I'm loving that similarity. Um, 18 kids. <laughs> we, we're going to have to ask you more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a minimalist. That's yep. perfect for what we are going, we are, what's happening to us right now. We all are forced to be minimalists. Uh, I'm telling my kids, you, you have to watch what you're eating. You cannot waste. You, we, are, we are not going back to the grocery store for another two weeks. So that's perfect. That's, you're, yeah. you're already trained for that. So no, tell yeah. us about your 18 kids. Uh, we'd love to know more. Um, I, I can do it really, I can do it pretty quickly. Yes, so yes, sure. I have this down, right? Um, I didn't, I wasn't sure that I would be able to give birth to my own children. I went through infertility. I went through seven surgeries and I, and all the medication you can possibly be on an infertility. And I hit the point after those seven surgeries that in vitro was the next step. And I knew for me that that was not an option. And I know lots of women who do it and kudos for that. It wasn't my path. And I really knew that strongly. There was not a question in my mind. So I just told the doctor who was wonderful, wonderful man. And I I let him know it like that's, I'm done. I'm tapping Mm -hmm. out right here. So wean me off the medication. Interestingly, you know, my books about my life growing up and I had grown up very similarly to how foster kids grow up, a lot of the same situations. And so in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted a family and that foster care was the direction that I really wanted to go. Even if I could have kids, that was the direction I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So my doctor weaned me off the medication. And I remember he was this small Asian man who uh, was very soft-spoken and he walked into the exam room and he hugged me. And I thought, 
like there's something really wrong. And he said, um, you're pregnant and it's not because of anything we did. It's off of the cycle that we had you on. I don't know how this is your miracle from God and you will probably never be able to be pregnant again. That is amazing. She's 28. Her name is Brianna. Um, so what that taught me and, and he he told me that my chance of miscarrying was very high. He told me that it was very possible I'd have really difficult pregnancies. It was a difficult pregnancy. Um, and then as a side thing, she was born with a lung disease. That didn't have anything to do with my situation, but she was born with a lung disease. And I was told when she was born that if, if she was in really bad shape, and I was going to a birth center and a midwife, and my midwife said, something seems off and I'm going to transfer you to the hospital. And thank God she did because it saved Brianna's life. So I transferred the hospital, a place that I, lots of medical intervention. I wasn't really excited about. And they knew that there was something wrong, but nobody that we didn't know what was wrong. So they kind of um, let me know ahead of time that if she was in really bad shape, they would hand her back to me and let her pass away. And if they felt like they could save her, they would. I, she was taken away and I didn't hear anything for about 11 hours. And then the neonatologist told me, you know, we'd put her on a uh, support and something else would fail. And now she's the most critical baby in the NICU of 29 babies. If we had known how bad it was, we would have just handed her back to you. Once we start life support, we can't stop it. And you, I couldn't touch her. Um, cause it takes calories from them. And she said, the first time you hold your daughter will be after she's passed away. So I, <laughs> it was a really tough situation and it had nothing to do with the infertility. However, I just knew that if this wasn't my path, uh -huh. I was okay with that. Uh, however, I was pregnant six more times. So <laughs> I was pregnant a total of seven times. I gave and birth and, and Brianna was destined to live. And Brianna was, she is turning 28 on April 8th. So she definitely it was. Yep. Uh, I didn't hold her for seven days, but yeah, it was, uh, she was destined to live. She was a little fighter. So I, my biological journey was that I was pregnant seven times. I gave birth to four and um, that's four kids out of 18. Right. After Brie was born, though, I started foster care. I really didn't know that I could ever get pregnant again. When I did, it was like, well, let's see. You know, I mean, I, I had a high chance of miscarriage. I had tough pregnancies. So my biological kids were the ones that were unexpected. They were the unplanned for kids. People are like, oh, you took on extra kids in foster care. Now I chose those. I, <laughs> I gave birth to extra kids. <laughs> so I did foster care. I adopted four and I had two that had stayed long-term. One, one that stayed long-term and one that was a foreign exchange student who just became part of our family. So that's 10 if you're doing math. And then I ended up divorced. And um, after I was divorced, when I was on my own, I adopted one more and I took in three more long-term. Um, and so that's 14. And then my daughter, Brie, the 28 year old, the notorious Brie introduced me to a guy who had four children and his wife had died. Mm. So that makes 18. That wasn't as fast as I was anticipating, but. Uh, <laughs> and did you marry this, this guy who had four? Is that we've been together for years and years and years and we've never gotten married, okay. but yeah, someday maybe we'll decide to do that. I, I, it's easier to call in my husband because people assume that, yeah. but 
yeah, we've been together for years and we took on each other's kids and that's 18. We had 12 at home just a couple of years ago. Wait, and he was happy to take on 14 other kids? At the time we met, I had nine at home, but Brie, Brie was in college and she was just living at home to kind of get back on her feet financially. She paid off all of her student loans. And so she moved out shortly. And then um, we have kids the same age. He and I have, you know, three, his, his three kids are the same age as three of my kids. So and interestingly, even though they were older, so they were starting that process of moving out on their own. Um, they weren't there yet when we got together, but, but that wasn't too far in the future. And there was one time where I looked at him and I said, we are so crazy to have a blended family with this many kids, you know, 12 of the 18 were at home. And um, he said, yeah, but our, the kids are so close in age. We had, you know, we had like 13 kids in 12, 13 kids in 10 years or 12 kids in 10 years. It, they're really close together. All of our kids are. And so he's like, it's going to be over so fast, yeah. which was true. And, um, I, you know, you know, from having kids, time goes by quickly anyway, but especially in that situation. Well, here's a lesson I'm just going to throw in now because I know mm -hmm. that's part mm -hmm. of your that's podcast. Good. A big thing people ask is how do you do it? And I, I, a huge part of this is your attitude. So I chose this life and I love it. That doesn't mean every day is sunshine and rainbows or there aren't things that are really tragic or we really struggle with. But it does mean that I have a strong attitude that this is what I chose and I love it. And so I think that that innately makes it easier and makes you better at it. Um, also, it's not a competition. It's like being an, I'm an author, I have one book. And so someone's like, I've got 17. And I'm like, you know, the great thing is that I've only written one and you've written 17, but we're both in the same club. We're both authors. And it's the same thing with parents. It doesn't matter if you have one or 20. It doesn't make any difference. Once you're a parent, you're in the club and it's not a competition. I've had more opportunity to fail and make mistakes and learn lessons and become better. Jen, that really could be a whole story in itself. But tell us, what is your story? Well, I was raised in dysfunction uh, and I had a third grade teacher that made such a pivotal difference in my life. I felt seen by her and I stayed it that way because I think a lot of us really just want to be seen for who we are. I was worth it. I was smart. I was important. I was special. I was all of the things that as a third grade eight-year-old kid you want to be and she made such a pivotal difference to me that I realized many things and I I realized them fairly young not in third grade but not I, it didn't take me to 40 to figure it out um especially as a teenager and graduating high school and being on my own it was real clear that we can make an enormous impact in the life of another person with a very short amount of time and with just being ourselves and without even knowing that we've done it. And so I kind of felt like the world is always watching. And so what do you want to teach? What do you want people to learn from you when they see you in passing? And it was important to me and I'm far from perfect, but it was very important to me 
that they learned certain things that no matter what the situation was or the struggle, there's a silver lining. Now we're in the middle of the COVID-19 situation. I think it's ripe with opportunity and positivity, despite the fact that it's a really tough situation. And I'm not minimizing the tough part of it. I'm saying that despite the tough part of it, what are the opportunities? Where are the silver linings? And I think I just always had that attitude it was maybe taught to me first by my third grade teacher and that lesson stuck with me that she made such a pivotal difference to me just by being herself as my teacher. You know, when I, when I went back and found her 20 years ago, she didn't remember me, um, which was great. She was just a teacher doing her job, being herself, moving through her day in her life. She, she didn't single me out. There was nothing about me that screamed that I need, needed help. She was just being herself. And what a huge impact that she made in my life. And I wanted to kind of pay that forward. So one example is when we're in the drive through at Starbucks, which is funny because I, I don't ever go to Starbucks, but lots of, this is very familiar for people, right? When right. you're in the drive through at Starbucks and you hear the person's voice on the intercom, and you get to the checkout and they messed up your order. That's a situation where a lot of people get pretty irritated, you know? And sometimes they're not kind with their words. You know, are you stupid? Did you not hear me? Did you not understand? And, but on the flip side, I've heard an intercom voice and thought, <laughs> I don't know who this person is, but they are totally making my day. But we don't tend to take the time to mention that. It's very easy to notice the things that are negative our coffee's not what we wanted, but it's not e easy for us to innately do the positive. So it's something that I challenge my kids with a lot um, is make sure when you get to that checkout, I don't care if the order's correct or not, say, dude, I don't know what is going on with your day, but when I heard your voice over the intercom, my day got 100% better, so keep it up. Because we don't know where that person is or what their struggle is or what they're going through. And so taking more time to highlight the positive things than we do the negative things is an easy switch. It really doesn't take any time out of our day. So my story is that I came from dis dysfunction and uh, anything that you imagine a foster kid going through, I was molested. I lost my virginity to date rape. Um, I was out of the house. We were below poverty level. Uh, there was physical abuse. There was sexual abuse. There was lots of emotional abuse. Um, I knew that it wasn't right, but I didn't know why because kids don't have a comparison. Um, I kept a bag under my bed to run away. I was pretty sure a couple of times that my mom was the person that she was with was going to kill her because of the physical abuse. And, and that's how I grew up. That, that was my life. And I took that and those lessons. <laughs> There's a movie called Take, Taken. I've got to find this clip because I use the example all the time and I mess it up every time. Liam Neeson is on the phone and he says, I have a very unique set of skills or skill set. And I'm going to use, you know, he, he does this little talk and you're like, uh -huh. yeah, this guy is going to tear into some people, right? He's got this unique skill set. But I love that because when we do a resume, we like, I did this job and I've got this certificate and this is my degree and we do that, but we don't look at our lives in a sense of skill sets. So what did that teach you and how did it build your toolbox? We're all, when we're, when we're going through traumas, we don't realize that we're building a toolbox to survive. And those are skill sets. So 
you know, you may, I, I learned to protect my younger sister and myself mm -hmm. and survive. And I took that skill set and I taught kids that they didn't have to be on survival mode and protect themselves always, right? So my skill was that I helped teach you that you didn't have to live in survival mode or that you were in a protected space or how to recognize that or how to feel safe and comfortable. You know, in parenting, you get faced with situations like it's more urgent. It happens now. It needs to be addressed. It's a situation. And there are times I've yelled when I shouldn't have, or I didn't really, the punishment didn't fit the crime, so to speak. And so I think regardless, we have the ability to ask for grace. And so I'm very honest with my kids, like, hey, I'm sorry I yelled and I got upset. I absolutely reacted to that. And that was my fault. Having said that, in this situation, how I felt and the things that I was trying to convey to you were accurate. I did not do well in the presentation. Or you know what, the punishment didn't fit the crime, so I'm gonna throw it out and we're gonna start over. It's okay to say I did that and it was wrong, especially to our kids who need to realize that, you know, we're not some all powerful, omnipotent being that it do as I say, not as I do, or because I said so, or what, you know, I mean, we can, we can just throw stuff out there to make ourselves right as parents, but that wasn't the lesson I wanted to teach my kids. Um, I wanted to teach them to you know, that it was okay to mess up and it was okay to say sorry and it was okay to pivot and do something different. So um, we can do that with everyone that we meet. And when I went back and I found my teacher, I've been speaking about her for years, you know, the only person that really should have known she made a difference in my life was her. And she was the one person who absolutely did not know that she made a difference. And so I was really grateful that I found her, you know, 24, four years later or something. Um, and she did not remember me. And I went to her still, she was still teaching third grade. I went to her third grade classroom, spent the weekend visiting with she and her family. And uh, the best thing that we can do is let somebody know what a positive difference they've made in our lives. So that's a huge workshop. That's a workshop that I do. It's a huge exercise. It's time consuming. It's emotionally exhausting in a very good way, but it's still very emotionally exhausting. I did it for my book and it was a happy accident. And I realized it has such an impact when you really go back and think about the people that have made a positive difference. And you're, you're also thinking of your traumas and your struggles as skill sets instead of the negative side of it. So when you start putting together this list of skill sets and the list of people that intervened in a positive way, you have a whole different blueprint of looking back at your life. That's really empowering and beautiful. And it, it lets you see, that you went from, you know, my third grade teacher to a different person that made a positive impact to learning a skill set to a different person that made a positive impact and kind of those threads that go through your life that are building your character. And then you have the ability to decide what you're going to do with that information and what you want that to look like and how you want to present it in the world. And then Jen, do you at some point realize that that thread that you have been coming across of people who are making those positive impacts on you. Do you then see how you have been, uh, or like you said, your character, character is formed by it, but yep. then how you are making the same difference in other people's lives 
because you have experienced it. Is that like, is it conscious or are you just subconsciously making difference in other people's lives? I think in the beginning it was probably unconscious. And I want to make a point that when you do something like sign up for foster care or do adoptions through the foster care system, you know, I did a couple private adoptions and a couple that were through CPS. Um, you think about all the paperwork is geared towards who am I? What training do I have? What can I bring to the table? What am I offering this child or these children? How can I make a difference? It's very egocentric. You know, it's about me making a difference to those kids. What I would have to say is that although it wasn't like, yeah, look at me, I'm going to go out and take this kid in and make it all better because it, it's not that cut and dry at all. And I knew that from the beginning. But I think because it's geared up towards what are your credentials and how are you going to make an impact, what you don't realize is that you don't know when you're making an impact. The moments that happen with each child are totally different. So I may feel like uh, I'm doing this one, we do this exercise at dinner almost every night for like 26 years or 25 years. You know, I do the same thing. We do the same thing at dinner. And in my mind, doing that is going to make a positive difference over time. And that may not be the thing that did it. So I think what you have to recognize, you have to take a step back and realize that what you're doing when you're trying to make a difference might not be. And what you're doing when you're not trying <laughs> might be where you're making a difference and that you might not know. Um, one of my daughters who's now 31, she came into my house when she was nine she stayed off and on until she was 17. Um, she's still my daughter. You know, I mean, she's wonderful. She was one of the long-term kids. And recently she said, do you remember that time I pointed to a hill and I said, I wish I was able to climb that hill. And I drove her there and I said, okay, we're go you're going to climb the hill. I don't remember this at all. I don't remember doing this. I see. She said, I, and I did, I climbed, I climbed the hill and I said, I don't think I can. And, and you were like, no, you can, you just have to, I mean, take your time, go slowly, whatever you need to do, but just do it a little bit and climb the hill. And she said, I climbed the hill. And that was one of the most empowering lessons I ever learned. I don't have any memory of it. I wish I could say I had this whole grand plan and look at me being all wonderful. It does not work that way. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. I did something on instinct and impulse because she didn't think she could do something that I knew she could do. So I was like, let's go. We're going to, we're going to get this done. And so it was like a normal parenting thing that I didn't give any thought to at all. So where I'm doing this dinner exercise every single night, she may not have any recollection of that, but man, she remembers climbing that hill and knowing that she could do anything. That's a really good story. So we have to realize that when we're trying to do it, it is very possible. It's good to try, but it's very possible that those are not the times that are going to have the greatest impact. And the times that do are going to be things that we don't really remember or realize made that big of a difference. And so for me, I hope a lot of it is unconscious. I hope it's who I am. I think that's who my teacher was. She was just being herself. It was very unconscious. So I hope a lot of my parenting has been climbing the hill and um, it's not trying to, I don't want to say force, but create, you know, a, a teaching moment. And, and I think that balance is important. But the, the thing about the conscious and the unconscious is that those kids made a bigger difference to me than I will ever have made to them. 
can you can you talk us through um, an event or a story from any of your kids' lives where you thought they made a difference to you? Wow. Um, well, yeah. I mean, anything like the story I just said, you could flip around. Yeah. You know, I mean, I did this thing I don't even remember, but she remembers it. And, um, and it's that it's so it happens in these slivers of moments in between. Sure. It's like the breaths in between, you know, it, that's kind of when those big moments happen. I, I had a daughter once. Yes, she she's 19 now. She's almost 20. She was five and she was in kindergarten. And she's one of the most shy kids that I have. And we we do this thing at dinner called high low. The kids can tell us they can talk about like three great things that happened to them. We had 12 kids at home a couple of years ago. So this is time consuming. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you're limited to three positive things of the day. Tell me mm -hmm. three good things that happened in your day. And one thing that wasn't so good. So this was back when Gabby was in kindergarten and she said, my low is that no one at school likes me and I don't really have friends. And she was such a shy, sweet child. Like everyone stuck. Like you drop your fork on the plate. You're like, what? Like the record goes, um, why do you feel like nobody likes you? You don't have friends. And so, and she said, and she was put with a table of girls that were all Hispanic, which was fine because Gabby was very far ahead in school. And most of these girls didn't speak English or very, not very well. And because Gabby was so far ahead and she was just sort of like a sweet personality, mm -hmm. the teacher asked if she could put her at this table with these other four girls to help teach them to speak English and just befriend them. And, and in the Hispanic culture, they, things are important that are different. And, one, and so I said to Gabby, why don't you have friends? And she said, well, all the girls have fancy hair. Okay. And I was like, my kid's getting fancy hair every single day. Like, that's it. <laughs> what is fancy hair? What does it look like? It's happening right now. <laughs> and so she felt like all these little girls that had their hair braided, which is very common in the Hispanic culture. They do all these little French braids and ribbons and stuff. And, you know, she felt like that's why she didn't have friends. And so um, I tried to, I, it made me cry, you know, I, and I said, well, do you want fancy hair? She had fancy hair. And after about 10 days, I said, what are we going to do to your hair this morning? She goes, I don't really want it done. I like my hair just down. And I said, are you sure? I thought that the girls weren't nice to you because you didn't have fancy hair. And she goes, you know, mom, they weren't really that nice anyway. Oh, I have such a similar story with my daughter too, but I am so happy that these kids learn on their own and yeah. then they teach us as well. Yeah, because how many times have I had a job or been around people where I think I should have had fancy hair? I mean, in a nutshell, aren't we all comparing ourselves and feeling somehow like we're falling short and all that stuff? And Gabby came to realize that it didn't matter if she had fancy hair. And, you know, quite honestly, she doesn't really want to be friends with these girls because they're not really nice. So I, she's cool with her hair the way she wants it. But we do that in our own lives all the time. You're right. You're right. So yeah, just that, you know, you should really be yourself and be comfortable with who you are. And I've always been pretty much like that, but she definitely drove that home with that lesson that yes, you should, you should be who you are and the story and not compare and worry about what other people think. Yeah. So Jen, you've gone through quite a lot from your childhood and then you try to really pivot it over and 
make sure that your kids did not go through what you went through. Um, and then you wrote the book and you have this podcast. So in all of this, tell me what is your overarching life lesson that you would like our listeners to know? I, in all my coaching and all my speaking and everything I do, I think the overarching message is that if you want better health and you want a better lifestyle, you can do that, but it should come from a preventative perspective and not an emergency room perspective. I was being asked a lot to speak on conflict management and stress reduction. And it's not that I'm not good at that. It's that that comes from a very emergency room perspective. Like I'm in stress and I'm in conflict and right now I need tools, do something right now. That may be true, but if you come at it preventatively where you've built your lifestyle and your health and your peace of mind and you come from a place where when the stress and conflict happens, you are already better able to deal with it. You don't need the magic wand in the moment. You need all of the preventative measures built up within you to be able to handle it better as a whole. And so I come at things, my, my biggest lesson that I've learned is that regardless of where you're at and what the stresses are, and they, they happen, and we can't control a lot of them, um, but our past traumas that we hold on to, all of that, that if we put ourselves in a better mindset and that's what we're working on, that I don't need to teach on stress reduction and conflict management because you got this, you got this. You know how to do it because you're coming from that better attitude. You're more grounded and you have more tools just as a general rule. You've reduced your own stress. That was minimalism, like the stuff, cleaning my house. It became overwhelming. So we realized if we took each room and streamlined each room in our house, we didn't have a smaller house. We still had 12 kids. There's still 12 backpacks. There's, you know, I still had to cook the same amount. But if we took each room of our house and got rid of anything that was excess, Anything that wasn't being used, that we didn't need, that didn't bring us joy, and we removed it, that then it left that room as this place that was really pleasant to be in. So that's a preventative measure. Instead of being stressed and cleaning it all the time, I removed stuff so I didn't have to be stressed and clean it all the time. And we can do that in our lives as a general rule if you have the tools. And so... That's what I've learned the most that regardless of what happens in the world or to us or the things we do to ourselves or the stresses that happen, if we're coming from a better place and we have that solid foundation, that we, we don't need all those tools for conflict management. And, and that then what, what comes to mind is immediately our thoughts, right? You're, yep. you're talking about the room and I'm thinking about our, our minds if there is anything that is not bringing us joy, if there is anything that's not being used, just toss it out of that head, right? Just you should, and that's easier said than done, but I do an activity and it's really fast. I, I ask people to think about something that they say to themselves when you look in the mirror. I can give the example, like I, I got ready today and I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, wow, you look really good today. You'd look better if you lost five pounds. That's the type of stuff that we say to her. That's a really small thing. But my daughter had prom a couple months ago. She's turning 18 tomorrow. And when we went prom dress shopping, mm -hmm. if she had tried on prom dresses, would I ever in a million years had said, that dress really looks nice on you. It'd look even better if you lost five pounds. 
I wouldn't say it to my best friend. I wouldn't say it to any of my kids. I wouldn't say it to my daughter looking at a prom dress. Why in the world am I saying it to myself? So I tell people that those negative thoughts are going to come. It's, it's a habit for us. It's second nature. It's, um, it's hard to just say, oh, you shouldn't do it or stop thinking about it. That's not really realistic. When the thought comes in, let it come in. Mm-hmm. Say it out loud, examine what it is, decide if you would say it out loud to another human being. And if you wouldn't, then you have to realize that you need to treat yourself with a higher regard and you need to flip the script. You need to turn that around, you know, and it's, it's not something you could just look in the mirror and I can say, oh, you'd look better if you lost five pounds and say, oh, you shouldn't think that that's not very nice. Um, no, I need to feel it for a minute. What does that feel like? How did that feel? What if someone else had said that to me? Why would I say that thing to myself? Would I say it to anyone else? Like marinate in it a little bit and then realize that it's not productive and it's not helpful. And then if losing five pounds is really important to me, what can I do to do that? If, mm-hmm. if that's something that I'm clearly hung up on. So I think we need to actually let the thoughts in and marinate them and see how we feel and then alter them. That, that is a great tool that I guess is coming out of your toolkit. And I'm sure yep. you have a pretty big toolkit from all the experiences <laughs> that you've had. This was great. I loved this uh, dialogue, Jen. Thank you so much for sharing your life and your story and your life lessons with us. Uh, and uh, stay safe and be healthy and hope to talk soon. Thank you so much. Listeners, before we end this show, let me emphasize the life lesson that Jen shared with us. She said, it all depends on your attitude. And of course, from a mother of 18, we have to take away a parenting tip. And the one that I took away was, it is okay to ask for grace from our kids and be honest with them. It is okay to say that I did that to you and I was wrong and the punishment did not fit the crime. And so let's toss the punishment out and start over. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show as much as I enjoyed recording it. I will be back again next Wednesday with episode number 13 of Sharing Life Lessons. Until then, be happy and be well.